In 2016, there was $1.4 trillion in student loan debt outstanding. Two years later, in 2018, there's $1.5 trillion in student loan debt outstanding. Clearly, there is more work to be done to help borrowers as well as their families survive the student loan crisis. My name is Jay Fleischman. I am a student loan attorney and advisor, and this is the next season of The Student Loan Show. Welcome back to the Student Loan Show. We are broadcasting today live from FinCon 18 here in beautiful and exceptionally humid Orlando, Florida. I want to take a moment at the top just to thank Ally Bank for sponsoring live podcasting at FinCon 18. I I love Ally Bank. I send my clients there. They have great customer service. They have a terrific product. Definitely everybody should check them out at Ally, A-L-L-Y, Bank. My name is Jay Fleischman. I am a student loan attorney and consumer protection attorney. With me is my right-hand man, thank God I'm a lefty, Joshua Cohen. Josh, how are you? I'm fine, Jay. How are you? I'm great. And what do you do for a living, Josh? Thanks for asking, Jay. So I am the student (laughs) loan lawyer, uh, and I've been doing it since 2008. just doing nothing but student loan work because apparently people need help. I guess they do, which is why we've got the show here today. I have met more doctors and spoken with more doctors in the past couple of months than really at any time in, in my entire practice of nearly 23 years. So I thought that maybe a good idea would be to impart some of the wisdom that we've gained over the course of time as it applies to doctors because the average debt by the time you get out of medical school is $207,000, but this number is from 2015, so it's an old number. It's definitely higher than that. It is average, so of course there's higher and lower, Mm -hmm. and I don't believe that it incorporates or includes any of the interest that accrues on those federal student loans uh, while you're in school because they, they do accrue from day one, right? Yes, they do, Jay. Okay, so so let's, let's start with the federal student loans. Most people don't, don't understand how interest accrues. So let's talk about that just briefly. I was told there would be no math. Ah, okay. there we go. So when you have a loan, as soon as it originates, as soon as it is dispersed to you, interest starts racking up. Now, there are several different kinds of loans. And when we talk about Stafford loans, which people get for both undergraduate and for graduate, including medical school, there's a subsidized and there's an unsubsidized. Subsidized simply means that the interest that accrues while you're in school, the government pays. The problem is you can only have a subsidized loan for your undergraduate. When you go to a graduate school or medical school or law school, mm-hmm. it's all unsubsidized. So however many years you're in graduate school, that interest is always compiling and the government's not paying it. So from day one, 
if you took out 20,000 for your first year, you're racking up interest from day one on that 20. And then it doubles year two, you took out another 20, so now it's on 40. Sure. But it gets worse because even though the interest is accruing from the day that you take the loan out, when you come out of your in-school deferment, that interest capitalizes, right? That is correct, so, Jay. So what I tell my clients is it's all the numbers from column B go over to column A. Yes. So that's how you get the interest on top of interest, right? Yeah, compound interest. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Right. So you're, yes. So you, you come out and you're, you've taken out here, it says average of 207, which I don't believe. It's Because I've, I've seen way You think higher. it's lower? No. no, it's higher. It's, it's way much higher. higher. It's way higher. Again, this this is all from 2015. So by the time you come out, even though you borrowed 207, let's just say, you're probably closer to 270 with all the interest and capitalization uh, after all said and done. And of course, when you come out of med school, you're, you're making bank, right? Like day one, right out the gate. You're getting the BMW i8, you're getting the brand new Tesla. I have to say, I picked the wrong career path as a lawyer. But no, we all know that that's not true. When sure. you come out, you enter a residency. You, you have to practice your craft sure. and get placed. Right. And do you know how long the average residency is? How long is the average residency? I don't know. My understanding is it's, it's three or four is the minimum, and I've heard upwards of six if you have a specialty. Oh, goodness. So, and, and they're not making bank during that residency. They're, they're a grunt. Exactly. And I, I don't think that a lot of people realize that, that just how little the residents are making. Like when you go to the hospital and you see the one doctor with all of their minion residents following along after them, those minion residents are making way less than, than certainly that makes me feel comfortable for somebody who would be overseeing my medical care. But, but precisely because that they're, they are practicing their craft, but they do get the opportunity to forbear their federal student loans while they're in their residency, right? So like they don't have to make payments. So by forbearance, you mean a, a postponement of those payments. So right. they don't have to make any payments. But again, your point, interest is continuing to accrue. They have to renew it every year. And when they renew it, the interest that they accrued over that year that they didn't pay gets stacked on top of their capital, right. uh, on top of their, their principal, capitalized. And so year two, it's growing bigger, and year three, it's growing bigger, and it is, it is a monstrous shipwreck. You know, every doctor that I, that I talk to, and most doctors will actually get in touch with me as they're leaving residency, and now they're gonna start to make a lot of money, because now, they, now they're worried about how things are gonna get paid off, and they don't want all their newfound riches, not newfound riches, but they don't want their increased income to all go over to the federal student loans. And almost universally, I will say to them, if you had called me when you started the residency, you'd probably be halfway done or better with repayment of your federal student loan debt. And that's because, and I, I know that you and I have talked about this, that just because they offer you the postponement of payments doesn't mean that you need to take it. 
And if you don't take it, you get to elect into one of the income-driven repayment plans. And if you're not making a lot of money, then you're not making a lot of payment towards your student loan, right? Right. And so this boils down to two things, which is one, at least they contacted you better late than later. Sure. Don't ever give up hope on dealing with your student loans, no matter where you are. Right. But I think the more important part is the industry does not have the borrower's best interests at mind. That is, we have seen this. And the industry is there to serve the Department of Education, to serve and to make sure that payments are being received, but more importantly, to make sure the loan doesn't default. And so when that happens, the servicer has a multitude of choices in front of it, and they don't necessarily deliver those multitude of choices to the borrower. Sure. What they do is, would you like a forbearance? Sure. What is it and how do I get it? Well, you don't have to make payments. Ooh, that sounds good to me. And and how do I get it, Jay? Well, just say, say yes. I'd like a forbearance. Yes. And, and there you go. And it's done because the point is, it it gets done over the phone, sure. no paperwork required. Right. If you ask for a payment plan, oh, there's 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 paperwork that needs to be done. Sure. So that that's part of it. So I hate to say this, but we can't rely on the industry. And right. so Well and and just to be clear, the servicer is the face of your federal student loan. They're your Navient or your Fed Loan Servicing or your Nelnet or your Great Lakes or Mohila. Uh, there are a number of them, but they are they are the face of the student loan. They're not the entity that you owe the money to. They're not the entity that's going to get all of the money that you send in. They are accounts payable, accounts receivable, and bookkeeping. Yes. And and I want to back off of what might seem like industry bashing. Part of it is how the borrower asks the question. Sure. And if the borrower says, I'm in residency, I can't afford my loan, that's translated as, you need a postponement, we'll get you on a forbearance. Sure. If the question is, can I get a lower payment, okay, that sounds a little bit more like a lead into an income-driven repayment plan, Sure. and they'll start you on that path. And it's unfortunate that that's how it goes, but that's how it goes. Sure. And, and it's an excellent point because the way that you ask the question dictates what the answer is going to be. But the problem here is that if you don't know the question to ask, Correct. then you can never get the right answer. But I want to just go back to the notion of starting your income-driven repayment plan at the beginning of residency. Now, at first, as far as payments are concerned, you're going to, by definition, you're going to have a lower payment due because the income-driven repayment plans set your monthly payment on your federal student loan based based upon your taxable income and your family size. Yes. So, and depending upon which one of the of the IDR plans you're looking at, and that's an umbrella term. So most people have, who've heard of anything uh, as far as the payments are concerned, they've heard of IBR. IBR is one flavor of IDR, income-driven repayment, 
of which there is income-based repayment, there's revised pay-as-you-earn, there's income-contingent repayment, there's pay-as-you-earn, there's new IBR, there's, there's a whole host of, of options. But if you're not making a lot of money, you're not going to be paying a lot of money. They bring it in line with what your income is, and that IDR comes with, comes with what at the end of the road. So all of the IDRs come with a long-term forgiveness plan, whether it's 20 or 25 years, depends on the plan itself. But the answer is they all come with eventual forgiveness. Now, and where you're going with this is there's an additional benefit if you're, say, a resident mm-hmm. at a nonprofit hospital, which the majority of hospitals are. Mm-hmm. And that's, you're going into the public service loan forgiveness that's plan. Right. Now, Public service loan forgiveness. How many times do you hear somebody say, well, I'm enrolled in public service loan forgiveness? I hear it all the time, Jay. <laughs> and, and can you believe we never pra- we, we've never practiced this? Well, and, not for today. Please, but- and, and I know that you're frustrated like I am because the truth is you, where you're going again is you don't enroll in it. You right. qualify for right. it. Right. Again. No one ever gets a straight answer, and so we're left with demystifying the myth. Sure. Yeah. And, and so talk about qualifications. Run, okay. run them down. So there are three prongs to public service loan forgiveness. The right job, the right loan, the right repayment plan. The one that everybody can control is the right job, and that's either a government or a 501c3, or there are certain not-for-profit public service um, careers such as uh, ambulance services and things of that sort. Right. So the job is the easiest thing. People know they either are or they're not. Well, sometimes they think they are, but they're not. Right. Um, and there have been some lawsuits about that, and that's, that's a whole episode onto its own. What are you doing next week? <laughs> um, so that's prong one. Prong two is the easiest one to deal with. Yeah. Do you have the right loan? You must have a direct loan, which simply means the loan was originated through the Department of Education. If you don't have one, you have what's called an FFEL, meaning you borrowed it from somebody else. Or a Perkins. Or or a Perkins loan, yes. You can easily convert that to direct loans through consolidation process, which is why everyone says, oh, you have to consolidate to be on it. Let's clarify that for a second. Correct. You only need to consolidate if you have an FFEL or a Perkins loan and you want to make it a direct loan. If you went to school in 2010 or later, you can only have direct loans. That was the only program available. Your loans already qualify. You can have 17 of them. You don't need to consolidate. Exactly. And that's, that's important because consolidation of federal student loans is not like consolidation of, say, your credit card debt. Where, it, where a company takes the individual separate debts and merely pays them in one shot every month. Rather, consolidation of federal student debt is the same thing conceptually as if you have a mortgage and you're going to refinance your mortgage. That is exactly it, correct. Right. It is a new loan that replaces and pays off all of the existing other federal student loans, and it's only for federal student debt, so you can't wrap in a private student loan and, and make it federal. You, you can't do that. Um, but the interest rates are not market-driven. There's no application fee. There's, uh, 
very little in the way of qualifications. Correct. There, there are a few, but not all that many. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly not no credit-based ones. Correct. So nobody's going to pull your credit or check your income or your debt-to-income ratio. But the thing that... The reason why it's important to consider consolidation is because if you've got direct loans and you've got five years of payment in them and you consolidate, what happens to the clock? You're resetting the clock because the clock is attached to each loan. So by consolidating, you've paid off that old loan with five years. You start with the new loan, no clock. Exactly, exactly. So you've got the right kind of job or the right kind of employer is the way that I say it. Correct. Because at a not-for-profit hospital, everybody from the janitor all the way up to the chief of neurosurgery, if they've got the right kind of loan and they satisfy the third prong, which you haven't talked about yet, they both can look at public service loan forgiveness. Correct. Yeah. So the third prong is the fun one. The third prong, simply put, is an income-based plan under IDR or the 10-year standard plan, meaning you're going to pay your loan off in 10 years. I'll get back to that one. That's a little odd. But the bottom line is any of the income plans. So anything under IDR, which Jay said, ICR, IBR, pay, repay, new IBR, it's alphabet soup for repayment. As long as you're on any of those and you have all three prongs, for 120 months. They don't have to be consecutive. That's important to remind people. Correct. But that's what you need, the right job, the right loan, the right repayment plan for 120 months. 120 separate, on-time, voluntary monthly payments. They've got to be separate payments, so you can't send 120 payments all at once, not that you would, but what I have seen is people on, say, IBR, and they're paying 20 bucks a month, and they write a check for $240. Well, that's not good. That's not going to qualify. And in fact, even the one payment isn't going to qualify, because it's not the payment that was due, right? I mean, no. Actually, as long as they've paid their minimum amount, that mm-hmm. payment counts. Okay, but so you've thrown, to know. But the extra 220 bucks, you've pretty much thrown over, you've thrown it into, I can't even think right now, you've just thrown it away Yeah. for two reasons. One, it doesn't count for those advanced months that you wanted it to, and two, you just paid extra on a loan that's going to be forgiven. Right, right. Throwing money down the well. I'll go with that. Yes. I was going with toilet, but well is fine. I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to go down that avenue, but that's fine. Throw it down the avenue. Okay. So anyway. the, the point is, don't pay more than you need to because it's not getting you anywhere. Correct. Correct. So yes, they've got to be timely payments, 120 separate, on time, voluntary. Why do you say voluntary, Jay? Well, and, and this goes, again, into a completely different show, but if you're, say, in a bankruptcy that requires you to make monthly payments into the court for distribution to your creditors and your federal student loans, one of them. Those are not considered voluntary payments under the regulations. In addition, if you're in default 
but you're making payments on a rehabilitation plan or you're making voluntary payments to the debt collector. Those don't qualify either. You've got to be in good standing. You've got to be in the proper repayment plan. You've got to be making those payments. They've got to be on time. So if you're 30 days late, then it doesn't count. What about wage garnishment? Not considered voluntary. Exactly. Even if you look at the wage garnishment and say, all right, I guess that's okay. Still not voluntary. That's not just voluntary. being resigned to it. Yes. Um, so public service loan forgiveness, the way that I describe it to my clients is if you've ever seen a slapstick comedy routine or a couple of episodes of the West Wing where somebody is wearing a tie and somebody comes over with a scissors and cuts the tie, cuts the tie down. You are in an income-driven repayment plan. That is the tie. The bottom of the tie is your forgiveness. That's the end of the, the repayment plan. Public service loan forgiveness is the pair of scissors that cuts your repayment plan short. So, and, and it's because people come to me and they say, I'm in public service loan forgiveness. No, you're not. You're, maybe you're in IBR. And so if you were to take no action, leave your current job, uh, open up for doctors, say, a private practice, and you're going to make a lot of money, then you're just going to go the full 20 or 25 years. If you stay in the right position with the right employer, then the scissors comes along and cuts that payment short to 120 payments. So I wonder, Jay, if it wouldn't be wrong or when talking about this in medical terms, if this is kind of like delivering a baby, and when you fully qualify for PSLF is when you're born, and you cut the umbilical cord, and you as a doctor have a new life. Yeah, I you wouldn't, don't, I, no, okay. Number one, I'm not a doctor. Number two, I don't play one on TV. Number three, I everything that you said would just make me pass out. So, yeah. I'm not good with blood, Josh. Neither am I. That's why I'm a lawyer. There you Much go. Much to my father's disappointment. There you go. So it's the, the upshot is you have a lot of federal student loans when you are in really any medical profession. We're, we're talking doctors, chiropractors, dentists, any health professional. Veterinarians. Uh, nurse, nurses, vets. Uh, you know, the list goes on. Any, anybody who's dealing in health and wellness comes out of their education with this overwhelming level of federal student loan debt, and we haven't even talked about the private loan debt, and the perception of the public is, well, you're going to make a ton of money, so it kind of makes sense that you would have a lot of debt. And even though you may make more than the average income for a family of your size, you're not going to see that earning capacity really kick in for a number of years, and by the time it does, your loan's way higher than it was even when you started out. So you're looking to, you're looking to leverage and minimize your risk so that you can actually have a life afterwards, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. We, we go to school to have a life. We don't live to pay our loans. Exactly, exactly. Hey, that, that can go on that's, a t-shirt. That's catchy. Look at that. So if you go into repayment, 
as soon as you graduate from med school and you don't take the, the forbearance for the residency period, and let's say you've got a four-year residency at a county hospital and you go into repayment and you're in an income-driven repayment plan and you make your payments every month and those payments are fairly low because your income is fairly low, by the time your residency ends four years in, you're four years out of 10 down. As far, you're almost halfway done Correct. with repayment of your federal student loan debt. That is, that is exactly it. And, and the longer your residency, the better you are, the further along you are. I just spoke to someone that's going for neurology. Oh, God, that's They have long. a six-year residency. Yeah, yeah. So they are now 60% done. Well, yeah, I'll make a lot of money as a neurologist. Okay, so for the last four years, you're going to pay something. But what about those six you've already qualified for? Right. You're still going to get forgiveness. Right. And, and the beauty of it is that by focusing on that public service loan forgiveness, the neurologist has a, has a six-year uh, residency. Now, if they're not in repayment and they're not angling towards public service loan forgiveness already, they go into repayment, they take a look at the balance, they say, oh my God, I've got to go into private practice, and they're not available, perhaps, in some of the places where they may be needed most. They're looking for only the money, because it's, it's by necessity. However, if they're in repayment from day one, they finish their residency, they say, well, I'm six years down towards PSLF, I'm going to stick around at the county hospital. I'm not going to make as much, but I'm going to get this additional benefit, which is great for them, but it's also great for society as a whole because you're, you're able to attract and retain better qualified physicians. The, the quality of health care goes up at, in places where that might not otherwise be the case. So don't look at everything that we're saying as, as uh, uh, you know, oh, those, those, those rich doctors and the rich get richer. No, this is, that's what public service loan forgiveness was for, right? That's exactly it. It's, it's about leveling the playing field and it's about a thank you for doing what you're doing because you're exactly right. If we didn't have this, if there wasn't that incentive to do the public service work, whatever it was, we're losing talent. Yeah. You know, and, and that goes the same for lawyers that work at legal aid. It goes yeah. for social workers. It goes for, you know, what if, what if you're a military, yeah. you stay in the military for the full 10, you're gonna get your loans forgiven. Exactly, exactly. And firefighters, ambulance drivers, uh, Teachers, oh my God, teachers. No, that's another show too, but yes. That's, that's probably five or 10 shows, but show me one overcompensated teacher. Show me one teacher, is particularly in a classroom, who is making more than they're worth. None of them. They, None they, of them. They, and this, this is the quintessential profession where you're giving them your kids. You're giving your children over to them. They are highly educated. They are highly trained. They are they are professionally rewarded for being even better trained. 
Public service loan forgiveness is the ultimate thank you. It is. And, you know, I think a lot of people underestimate the amount of debt that teachers have. Now, where I practice in Connecticut, you're required to have a master's to teach. That means teachers carry a balance of 150,000 in student loans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do they pay that off on a teacher's salary? Well, they don't. They don't. That's exactly it. Public service loan forgiveness is that light to hang on. Yep. And and that's why um, in in uh, my part of Los Angeles in 08, I think it was, the, one of the local school boards offered buyouts to all of their uh, all of their highly experienced educators because the economy was bad and they had taken a big hit on uh, on their investments so they didn't have quite as much money to pay out so all of the really experienced teachers they they all left and then a lot of people who came in as the new crop so to speak it was more difficult to retain that talent because at that point people didn't even know about public service loan forgiveness and it's one of the reasons why uh, only 96 out of God knows how many people got approved uh, in the first round. But you can't retain talent. PSLF helps you retain talent. That's exactly it. And it works. It works for hospitals. It works for legal aid. It works for teachers. It's. I think it's a great retention tool. And of course, it works for nonprofits. Yeah. Because yeah. we all know doing the exact same thing in the private sector pays more. Sure. And while it's nice that a lot of people in the nonprofit sector are there for the giving of it mm-hmm. to be able to keep some of that talent because life might get in the way and the bills are tight. Sure. Hang on, get rid of your student loan debt after 10 years of service. I think it's the it's the best retention tool and I think it's the most underused retention tool. Absolutely. I still have human resources departments that don't know about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so to just bring it back full circle, if you're health, health, in the health professions at all, or know somebody who is, the best thing that you can do for your financial future is to get yourself into repayment immediately. Make sure you're in the right repayment plan. Make sure you're in the right employment situation. But assuming that you are, Start your repayment early because the faster you start to make payments, the faster you finish payments, theoretically, uh, presuming PSLF or even under even under any IDR. Um, and then if you've got private loans, you can maybe focus a little bit more on those and because they don't go away for PSLF or any income-driven repayment. So uh, there's a bit more pressure on that on that account. So get yourself into repayment, make sure that you know what you're doing, make sure that you've looked at all of your options, you understand all of your options, and that you're prepared to get yourself through that process and the recertification every year. Um, Whether you're doing it on your own, or with a lawyer, or your accountant, or your CFP, somebody who's, who's qualified to handle this. I wanna thank everybody for staying subscribed to the student loan show even while i wasn't pumping out regular content thank you for being here but now you are going to get something new every week 
You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe through uh, really whatever podcast app you use on your phone or your computer or whatever device. You can also find all of the prior shows at studentloanshow.com. You can sign up for a free uh, student loan repayment roadmap to help get you jump-started, give you some of the basic ideas so that you can maximize your chances of success. Josh, how do people find you? Phone book. No. Um, (laughs) You can find me. uh, My website is thestudentloanlawyer.com. Thestudentloanlawyer.com. People can get in contact with you there. Studentloanshow.com. People can find me there. Thank you so much for sticking around. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell your mother-in-law, and I will see you back here next week.